What in the world is Live Nation up to? The live event behemoth recently made a colossal announcement that they are ending the decades-long practice of taking a cut of artist merch sales at their venues rolling out over the next few months. And though this announcement has been widely cheered and celebrated, it's not the concession everyone thinks that it is. And yes, lots of bands will still see 10 to 30% of their merch sales go to Live Nation venues when they perform there. Welcome to Get Offset. My name is Emily and you're looking cute as a button today. I love that color on you. But let's get back to venues taking merch cuts. To fully understand what's going on, we need to go back, way back. But first, let's talk about live show economics for a second. There are, there are a few ways a band can get paid for a performance, but there are two main ways. They can get a guarantee, which if you want to do some back of the napkin math, is usually base ticket price, no fees, times the venue's capacity. So if you're playing to a 500 capacity room with a base ticket price of $20, you'll probably get a guarantee of about $10,000 to be split between you and the support bands, even if you only sell 400 tickets. Though if you're not close to a sellout, the guarantee can always be renegotiated by the venue. The other way is simply bands keeping all or a portion of the ticket sales so if you sell 500 tickets in that same room at that same price, the band makes the same $10,000. But if you only sell 400 tickets, you only get $8,000. So how do venues make money if bands are getting all or most of the ticket sales? A few of the most common methods are alcohol. That's the big one, and <laughs> Gen Z is really doing a number on that one since they're not drinking as much, but that's another topic. There's also parking, albeit not all venues have parking available. Ones that do make a pretty good amount of money uh, from parking fees or even valet fees sometimes. Speaking of fees, we have ticket fees, which is something we all know and hate. Uh, venues can also offer certain VIP experiences. Um, for example, Marymore Park in uh, just north of Seattle, they have a VIP section that has a catered dinner. And that's not really part of the artist thing. The artists can have their own VIP experiences, but venues can have completely separate ones that have special seating areas and arrangements. And of course, why we're here today, taking a cut of artist merch. When we're talking about merch cuts, we're talking about the practice of venues taking 10, 15, 20, 25, 30% of an artist's gross merch sales for the night. Some venues take more, some take less, some will waive the merch fee at their disclosure, like if they just like you, and some will never actually charge bands even though they say they will. So the accounting and how venues decide how much money changes hands it varies by the venue, but it's generally done uh, while everything is being settled up. So some venues will make you count in and count out. So actually take an inventory of your merch and then they will take the price and they'll, they'll do some math. And they do this so that even if you cut somebody a discount or uh, 
give away some free merch or some merch just walks away on its own, you'll still have to pay them for that. <laughs> uh, some venues will just look at your inventory sheet and take your word for it. And some will basically force you to hire one of their merch people for the night because let's face it, they don't trust you. And this sucks. You're probably already bringing and paying a dedicated merch person at this size of venue. And the it's kind of a no-win. Either they're not getting paid for the night or you're paying for someone who couldn't render their services if they wanted to. And in the worst case scenario, you're paying both them and the person that the uh, venue forces you to hire. And then think about how some bands, their merch person becomes an unofficial member of the band. For example, the Hold Steady has a well-known merch person among the fans named Mosh Pit Josh. And I got to imagine that their merch sales might suffer a little bit when Josh isn't there. At the very least, it's confusing to fans who are, you know, wondering where he is. Okay, now it's time to go way back like we promised. Though the discourse on merch cuts has really only heated up in the past few years, Decibel Magazine estimates that venues taking a cut of artist merch is a practice that can be traced back to at least the 1970s, which sounds right to me. The origin story is a little blurrier. On the podcast, your favorite band sucks. They had an episode about Ticketmaster and ticketing fees. And though this isn't a ticketing fee, I wouldn't be surprised if the genesis is similar or the same. On that podcast, I talk about the famed manager Irving Azoff. So remember those guarantees I was talking about earlier? Irving was such a skilled and ruthless manager of such high-level bands that he was able to negotiate guarantees for his artists that were larger than the gross revenue from ticket sales because he knew how much alcohol the venues would sell. So he was able to pull his weight and say, hey, if you don't give me more money for this band then you're not going to get any of these other huge acts that I manage and they're going to go to your competitors and your competitors are going to sell a lot of beer. So your favorite band sucks correlates us with ticketing fees going up because venues then needed ways to make that money back. I wouldn't be surprised if merch cuts kind of have a similar genesis that those same venues turned to merch cuts as well for bands that couldn't negotiate their way out of out of it uh, and that would help them make back some of the money they lost from bands that could negotiate inflated guarantees but that's just my thought and this was much larger venues even smaller clubs these days take merch cuts which is why i like the decibel theory Decibel Magazine thinks we can trace back the merch fees to the rise of straight-edge bands in New York City in the 1980s. If you're not familiar, straight-edge is a hardcore scene that swears off drugs and alcohol. And obviously, venues make a lot of their money from alcohol sales. So what are these bands going to do when they want to start playing bars that make the bulk of their revenue from selling substances that their fans don't consume um and what do you the venue do so you can still make money at these shows where people are only buying diet sprite well the band may offer a cut of their merch so that they can start playing bigger bars and incentivize these bars to book these bands not for free 
And as that story goes, venues slowly but surely started taking that same cut for every band that played, even the ones with hard-drinking crowds. And in case you were wondering, yeah, these merch cuts can add up to be higher than the guarantee that the band got in the first place. As a result, some bands have straight up refused to sell their merch at venues and festivals that take a large merch cut. For some bands who want to price their merch so fans can afford it, such a high percentage in a merch cut will negate any profit from that merch. So it's raise your prices at those venues or just lose money on merch sales. And you make merch to make money. Merch used to be one of your biggest revenue streams. And now you're looking at a point where you have to charge so much more for it to make the same money and screw your fans or just accept that merch is a loss leader when it shouldn't be. And speaking as someone who has lost money on merch sales, it sucks. But now in September of 2023, Live Nation has announced no more merch cuts in their venues. Yay! And they're paying bands an extra $1,500 per show intended to help cover the growing tour expenses like gas, transportation, and hotels. Double yay! And that $1,500 fee, that's going to go to the support acts as well as the headliners, and they are going to give bonuses to crew members. This sounds amazing. That's three things to yay about. But there's an asterisk in there. While this is all very good news, it's extremely limited and raises some questions. First of all, let's clarify which venues we're talking about. This ending of Merch Cuts is part of a program being run with the legendary Willie Nelson called On the Road Again after his flagship song. It applies to 77 Live Nation venues across the country, including all of its House of Blues and Fillmore locations. So this is a very specific type of venue we're talking about. And I would argue that the bands who are playing this size show are probably among the most in need of this break, especially the support for the headliners. This is probably the right size tour that you need to hire more help and are possibly renting a nicer van and trailer if not a bus. It's not uncommon at all for tours of this size and any size really to lose money. And that brings us to the other side of tour economics, the band's side. From whatever money you get from gigs, you need to subtract expenses. Gas, which we all know is more expensive than ever. A van or bus rental, let's be honest, probably a van. If a van, a trailer rental for gear, you probably don't own that. Um, hotels, because even if you have a bus, you might be getting a hotel room or two for the band or for specific people um, in the crew. Uh, you have that upfront cost for merch because you have to pay to get it printed in the first place. You may be renting a backline. And if you don't know, a backline is when you reach out to backline providers in a city where you're playing and they may let you rent amplifiers, drums, instruments, a PA perhaps, all that stuff uh, so that you don't have to travel around with it. This is more common for fly-in gigs, but some people just do backlines. We also have crew wages, including your merch person and potentially the merch person you're forced to hire by certain venues, um, though the venue may pay for a merch person if they're making you use their own. 
uh, meals because you can't survive on green room hummus alone. Uh, <laughs> yeah, meals. <laughs> you got to eat, guys. Um, the cost of fixing things that break, including fingers, which is something that uh, I've experienced to members of my band on tour. We had a keyboard player and she broke her pinky after the first show. Um, and so we had to go to like an urgent care. So that's just kind of the cost of doing business. Uh, there are other incidental costs. I do want to say that her finger is fine now and she still plays piano, but it was really funny. The rest of the tour, every once in a while during a song, uh, she broke her left pinky. So every once in a while I'd hear just like a clunk and I'd look over at her and she would just look up at me and smile. It was, that was a great week. Uh, other incidental costs uh, that I mentioned that probably managers and agents who are going to take their cut and labels that take a cut of everything. It all adds up and requires a substantial upfront cost for merch and rentals. And for band members, you know, talent gets paid last. That's just the rule. You don't get to eat when your bus driver or your merch person goes hungry. Bands used to tour to support record sales, and they'd often make decent money between live shows and merch. The record label took most of the album sales, sure, but other than small cuts from agents and managers, performance or talent got to keep the bulk of live revenue and merch. But when people stopped buying records, labels had to find another way to make money. Enter the 360 deal. The premise of a 360 deal is that labels are now going to help with every element of a performer's revenue. Record sales, film and TV synchronization, that's when you have a song in a movie, on a TV show, or in a commercial, merchandise, and ticket sales. There was the promise of the labels earning their money, but if you talk to most artists, that's really not what happened at all. And as if it wasn't already hard enough for musicians to pay off their advances and get money from their label, now the label is investing more money that you have to pay back. If you're not familiar with how advances work in the music business, it's very different than how they work even in publishing. So in book publishing, you get an advance, and that is supposed to be the money you live off of while you write your book. And once you pay back that advance, you start to see money from your book sales. In the music industry, you don't just have to pay back that advance. The advance that's not just supposed to be like what you live on, but what you use to pay for the recording of your album. Because not only do you need to eat and pay rent or your mortgage, you need to book studio time. And studio time is very very expensive, especially if you want to actually experiment in the studio versus coming in very well rehearsed. It just, it costs money. And then there's the uh, mixing and mastering. It all costs money and your label will pay for it. But that's not all you have to pay back. You also have to pay back things like marketing and PR expenses things that you don't get any say over. So you have this huge accounting that you can't even be totally aware of and you have to pay it all back before you start making your money back. And that's really difficult, if not impossible, for a lot of bands. Take 
into account that a lot of bands sign um, really bad contracts and it makes it even harder for them to get their money back. The Dixie Chicks are a great example of this. They sold tens of millions of records at their prime and they none of them had a million dollars in their bank account and it's that's despite touring but uh, a tribe called quest is also another great example of an album that went platinum and the band made zero dollars on it all that's to say is an extra fifteen hundred dollars per show even for the support acts plus an extra 10 to 30 percent of your merch sales staying with you that's enough to make a band go out of their way to play your venues instead of competing venues. And there it is, guys. Though we think of Live Nation as having a total monopoly on venues and ticketing, they don't. But are you really winning at capitalism if you've still got competition? Over the years, some performers have gone out of their way to avoid Live Nation venues. Like, uh, the best example I can come up with is Louis C.K. And let's just not get into the can of worms that is his particular can of worms. But I have personal experience with Louis C.K. as a performer who wanted to do something kind of radical with his tour. He hired my former employer, Etix, to build a white label ticketing platform for his tour. Every ticket sale was going to go through him and his website, not the venues. And what we quickly figured out was that tons of venues have exclusivity agreements with Ticketmaster, owned by Live Nation, so they had to find the venues that basically weren't owned or managed by Live Nation. And he did it, thanks in no small part to nonprofit theaters, and he made a whole lot of money along the way. It's doable. But now you have incentive to play these Live Nation venues. $1,500 worth of incentive. $1,500 more even over a venue that never takes merch cuts. 1500 bucks a night could be the difference between sleeping three to a bed at the Econolodge situated on the top four floors of a parking garage in downtown Memphis and getting everyone their own bed at a nice La Quinta Inn near Graceland. Or honestly, the difference between making money on the tour at all and coming home to overdue rent notices. The National Independent Venue Association, which represents independent venues across the country, I'm going to call them NEVA from now on, they know exactly what's happening here. NEVA says, the initiative announced today may seem like a move to follow the lead of some independent venues. It is not. Instead, it appears to be a calculated attempt to use a publicly traded conglomerate's immeasurable resources to divert artists from independent venues and further consolidate control over the live entertainment sector. Such tactics threaten the vitality of small and medium-sized venues under 3,000 capacity, many of which still struggle to keep their doors open. I personally believe that Live Nation doesn't want to help artists. They want to help themselves. Live Nation outright owns a lot of venues, including ones that are this size club, and it's easy enough to figure out which ones they are. But Live Nation also manages or has some ownership stake, potentially controlling ownership, over a lot of other clubs and promoters. And that makes it really hard to determine how many venues are Live Nation venues. And it's probably a huge number. 
sec.gov has a list of Live Nation subsidiaries, and it's in the hundreds. To be fair, a lot of these are variations on Ticketmaster and Live Nation, but a lot aren't. And outside of the 77 venues mentioned in the press release, Live Nation is still going to collect merch cuts. And from their website, I saw 138 venues listed as owned by Live Nation. So just over half are covered under this On the Road program. Don't believe me? Look at the Live Nation special events page. It has venues that aren't officially Live Nation venues according to their main site. What we do know is that, one, Live Nation claims to have managed 43.6 thousand events worldwide in 2022. Two, of the top 100 arenas worldwide, 68 are US-based, and Live Nation slash Ticketmaster tickets 78% of that US subset. Three, according to Polestar's 2022 venue data, 88 of the top 100 amphitheaters are located in the United States. Out of these 88, 56 of them are operated by Live Nation, which means that Live Nation operates the majority, 64%, of the top-grossing amphitheaters in the United States. Four, neither these arenas nor amphitheaters are covered under the On the Road program. One thing we know as well is that according to the Washington Post, Live Nation subsidiaries got millions in aid meant for independent venues. That's a program spearheaded by Neva, and they got $19 million. And I am kind of conflicted about this because on one hand, if the employees of those venues got that money, I feel better about it. Um, but if a penny of that money went to investors, absolutely not. That money was meant to help venues, their media employees, and as a result, artists. But even if the employees got that money, it seems very wrong to me that this enormously profitable company decides to take money that was earmarked for independent venues and use that to pay their employees instead of the huge bonuses their executives get every year. And... Furthermore, I do not fault anyone at these venues. The 77 or uh, one of the huge number of Live Nation slash not Live Nation venues out there, these venues are largely run by people who love music. It's not their fault. That's the industry. If you want to work in music and make a living, you're not always going to be able to work for benevolent forces. And if you're a touring band and are able to take advantage of the On the Road program, I'm happy for you. I've struggled to turn down that kind of money, but let's try to continue to support the local venues who support us, especially the ones that have already signed on as hashtag MyMerchVenues, link in the description slash show notes, but the hashtag MyMerch thing, a lot of venues are signing on to pledge to not take cuts of artists' merch anymore. I want to reiterate that is my personal belief that Live Nation is doing this to get a leg up against their competitors, many of whom have already pledged to ditch merch cuts if they haven't done so already or even if they never did so. Live Nation is not doing this for their own public image. I'm sorry, you cannot possibly think that Live Nation or Ticketmaster give a flying fuck about the public hating them. What are you going to do? not see your favorite band on tour, not try to get Taylor Swift tickets. Live Nation and Ticketmaster are professional bad guys. This is not about public opinion. 
It's about money. It's about eliminating competition. Because to quote the uh, promoter Billy in Purple Rain, this is a business and you aren't too far gone to see that yet. Well, to everyone out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. Please consider using the affiliate links in the show notes. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. Rate the podcast. Check us out on YouTube, Patreon, and Patreon at patreon.com slash getoffset. And uh, until next time, my name is Emily. Goodbye.